We know God through his attributes of being, for example, the most merciful. This is among the attributes of God. We cannot understand fully what it means to be the most merciful, but we can understand to some degree. God is merciful to you, to me, even though we disobey God. You know, normally we think of mercy as mercy because you love somebody, because they obey you, or they're kind to you, or whatever this is mercy. But for God, it goes beyond human mercy. God is merciful to you and I, even though we disobey God. This is ultimate mercy. It's something very difficult for us to understand. His mercy covers his whole creation. The animals, human beings, everything that is in creation. And this is how we understand God. We worship God on this basis. That he is most merciful. And with this mercy, it means that we all can attain salvation by turning back to God in repentance. God is just. He does not punish you for somebody else's crime. You are responsible for what you do. I am responsible for what I do. Islam teaches when God created Adam, put him in paradise, told him not to eat from the tree. This is a part of Islamic teaching. Told him not to eat from the tree. And he disobeyed God. He was sent from paradise. But at the same time, he was given words of repentance. How to turn back in repentance to God. And he turned back in repentance and God forgave him. This is the Islamic message behind the creation of Adam and Eve and the story concerning the tree in paradise. That human beings God has created with a weakness in the sense that we have the choice to do wrong and we sometimes choose. In fact, we oftentimes choose. But God in His grace, in His ultimate mercy, has given us a means of removing the sin that we commit by turning back to Him, sincerely asking His forgiveness, we are forgiven. So there is no need for anyone to die for our sins, anyone else to pray for us to be forgiven. No, it is for us what Islam teaches. Between us and God is a direct line. There's no switchboard. You know, you have to call up the switchboard, and then the switchboard connects you. No. No intermediary. You turn directly to God. You ask His forgiveness. He is the one who forgives. This was teachings of all of the prophets. I know somebody may say, when I pray to Jesus, my prayers are answered. In Islam, 
it is forbidden to pray to Muhammad. May God's peace and blessings be on both of them. Prayer is only to God. What some people say, but when I pray to Jesus, my prayers are answered. I would say, yes, I agree. If when you pray to Jesus, your prayers were never answered, then you would stop praying to Jesus. And you would go and try to find somebody else to pray to. But if we go to the Hindu who prays to an idol, or we go to a pagan who prays to a tree, do you think that his prayers are never answered? No. His prayers are answered too. When he prays to his idol, some of his prayers are answered. When he prays to the tree, some of his prayers are answered. That's why he keeps praying to the tree and praying to the idol. Otherwise, if every time he prays to the idol, he never got his prayers answered. But he found that when Christians prayed to Jesus, they got their prayers answered. They would all leave. Hinduism would become Christian. So what do you say? When he prays to the idol and his prayers are answered, is the idol answering his prayers? No. You will say, no, it's God who's answering his prayers. This is the mercy of God. He is the most merciful. That a person will pray to an idol and he will answer his prayers. This is the greatness of God. This is the mercy and grace of God. If he wished, he could have not answered the prayers of those who didn't pray only to him alone. But then, this life would not be a test, would it? If you heard, when Muslims raise their hand in prayer, they get whatever they pray for. And whenever you raise your hand, you didn't get. When you pray to Jesus, would you still keep praying to Jesus? No, you would come and say, okay, let me pray. You know, if Muslim raises his hand, he gets a rose white. I want a rose white too. Let me come pray to your God. Then there, there would be no test in this life. So what happens is that a Muslim will raise his hand to one God alone, and some of his prayers are answered, and some of his prayers are not. A Christian will raise his hand to Jesus, some of his prayers are answered, and some of his prayers are not. A Hindu will raise his hand to Shiva, idol, some of his prayers are answered, and some of his prayers are not. So now we have to use our brain. There's a test here. Who is right? Is it God who is answering those prayers? Or is it a man? Or is it an idol? Or is it a tree? Because God does not answer every prayer. You could ask, okay, then if it is God who is answering the prayer alone, why is it that when the one who believes in that one true God, when he raises his hand, sometimes his prayers are not answered? Why aren't all his prayers answered? As I said, if all the prayers were answered for one, it would mean that there would be no test. Because it would become well known around the world that when the Muslim raises his hand, all his prayers are answered. If everybody would become Muslim, finished. But that's how, how it is. Some of the prayers are not answered so that we are obliged to believe in God without seeing Him. 
We believe in God alone and we worship Him. Believe in what? Because He has taught us that He knows all. When you put up your hands in prayer for something, do you know the end result of this thing that you're praying for? You're praying for a car. You want a Porsche. Nice car. Praying for a car. Do you know what's going to happen to you when you get this car? Now, this car can go 250 kilometers per hour. And you want to get behind the wheel and drive at 250 kilometers. Do you know that when you get behind there that you might go flying off the road and kill yourself? Your family are with you, you have an accident, your children are maimed, you are burnt. Do you know that that can happen when you get that car? You don't know. You just know you want that car. Now God knows what will happen when you get the car and you get on the road and you drive at 250 kilometers per hour. He knows all. So, He chooses not to give you the car. For your own protection. But you don't know. All you see is, I put up my hand, I want this car, and God is not giving me this car. So God knows what is best for us. You don't know. You may think something is good for you, and in fact it's really not good for you. God alone knows. So, Islam teaches that when a true believer in God raises his hands in prayer, all of his prayers are answered, but not at that time. All of the prayers for things which are good for him, God answers and gives him. Those things which are not good for him, because he is praying to the one true God, God saves for him and gives him on the day of judgment. Because when you turn and pray to the one true God, you are truly worshipping according to how God wants you to worship. So what you are doing is a good deed. And God will reward you for it. When you turn to God alone, He will reward you for turning to Him alone because that is the correct way to worship. So He will bless you. He will reward you for worshiping Him alone. This is the Islamic view. God is one and unique. Not just one in number, but also unique. No man has the qualities of God, nor does God have the qualities of man. God is God and man is man. Man is to worship God and not to worship man or God, the rest of God's creation. This is the basic concept, the picture that Islam teaches concerning God. And this, as I said, was what was taught by all of the prophets. Jesus worshipped. If you go back, open up the New Testament, and read about the life of Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find references to Jesus praying. If He was God, there would be no need for prayer. You don't pray to yourself. 
So the very fact that he was praying is a message to his followers that he was not God. You see, Jesus taught his followers not only in words, he taught them also in deed. As the prophets before him not only taught the word, but they taught in deed. They showed practically how to worship, how to be righteous. So Jesus prayed. He said to pray, our Father, so he's telling you in words. He didn't say to pray, dear Lord Jesus. No, he said pray, our Father. And he prayed. So not only did he tell in words, but he also showed in deeds. This is what we need to look back and reflect on. Jesus prayed. He prayed to God. And he told us to pray to God. Therefore, if we are true followers of Jesus, then we must also pray to God alone. I know some of you will say, but Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by me. What does that mean? Does it mean that we should pray to Jesus to get to the Father? This is an interpretation. This is what has been taught. And this is why most Christians pray to Jesus. However, there are other interpretations. I would say to you, that all of the prophets of God, they taught that no one comes to God except through them. Through them, not in the sense that they pray to them, but they do according to what they taught. Their way is the only way. The way to God is the way of the prophets. So we can only go to God by going through the way which was taught by the Prophet. So no one can come to God except through Prophet Muhammad, or through Prophet Jesus, or through Prophet Moses, or through Prophet Abraham, or through Prophet Adam. According, may God peace and blessings be upon all of them, according to the way that they taught. Okay. What was the way of Prophet Jesus? One, I told you, that he prayed to God. Do you know this is the Holy Bible? King James Version. Do you know that in Matthew 26, Verse 39, 
just read it for you so you hear it for yourself. Matthew 26, verse 39, it says, this is concerning Jesus. I'll read from 36 so you understand the context, the background. Then Jesus went with them, that's with his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go yonder and pray. Telling them he's going to pray. Praying to who? Praying to God. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. What does that mean? What does falling on your face and praying mean? It means like... This is not something which Muslims took the Bible and changed some words and put in here. This is what it says in the Bible. It also says... In Joshua 5, verse 14, Joshua, Joshua 7, verse 6, that Joshua, prophet Joshua, fell on his face and prayed. Elijah, in 1 Kings 18, 42, it says, prophet Elijah fell on his face and prayed. In Numbers, Moses and Aaron, Numbers 16, 20, verse 6, it says that Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and prayed. In Genesis 17, verse 3, it says Abraham fell on his face and prayed. Now what is this? What is this? What is the correct way to pray to God? To pray the way that the prophets prayed? To pray the way that Jesus prayed. To fall on your face in prayer. Do you fall on your face in prayer? You tell me no. But I say, uh, what, what is a Christian? What does Christian mean? It means a follower of Christ. But if Christ fell on his face and prayed, why don't you fall on your face and pray? If we are to judge followers according to their practice, then I would have to say that people who are called Muslims today, they are better followers of Christ than people who are called Christians. Because they fall, you've seen Muslims pray, right? They fall on their face and pray. So they're following the way of Jesus. If we go back and look at the life of Jesus, we find that Jesus didn't eat pork. And I ask you, do you eat pork? You say, yes, I love pork. Very sweet, very nice. 
my book. My painting. I know for Muslims, uh, they would say, ah, work, how could it be nice painting? It's horrible, horrible animal. You know, here the only pigs we have are in the zoo. You want to see a pig, you can go to the zoo in Malaysia, they have pigs there. You can go see a pig. So they only keep pigs in the zoo. They don't eat them. But I know, because I was born in a Christian family, and I was raised eating pork, that pork tastes sweet. But the fact that it tastes sweet, does that mean it is good? If I make up a glass of poison for you that tastes sweet, does it mean it is good? <laughs> no. So the fact that it tastes sweet doesn't make it right to eat or not. How do we know whether we may eat it or not? According to the teachings of the prophets. And in Leviticus 11 verses 1 to 8, Moses tells his followers, based on revelation he received from God, that it is forbidden to eat the pig, pork. And Jesus said, I did not come to break or to change the law, I came to fulfill it. He didn't change the law, and he didn't eat the pig. He took out demons out of some people and cast them into the pig. You read the story in the, in the Gospels about how a man came who was possessed with demons, right? And he cast the demons out, set them into the pigs, and the pigs ran into the sea and drowned. This is what we see about the pig. We don't see stories of Jesus eating the pig. Now, if we look around the world today, we see that Muslims don't eat the pig. So again, if we are to judge the followers of Jesus according to those who most closely follow what he did and said, we will have to say that Muslims are truer followers of Jesus than people who call themselves followers of Jesus. To be honest, I mean, take emotions aside now. To be honest, who is praying as Jesus prayed? Who ate according to the laws which Jesus followed? And then when you look at the women, because people when they say, okay, Islam sounds nice and sort of, but cover up your women. All covered up. But if you go and look at the pictures that is in the church of Mary, Mary who is called the Mother of God, look at the pictures of Mary and Mary Magdalene and all the other women who are around Jesus. How did they look? Were they wearing mini skirts and, you know, halter tops and hair out and, you know, is that how they were dressed? Or were they wearing veils, loose dresses, so you couldn't see anything of them except just their face there? When we look into the church, Catholic church, we know the nuns. The nuns in the past, they used to dress the same way the Muslims dress today. Go back 50 years. You see the nuns dressing just as the Muslims dress today. But as time changed, you see clothes changing. The skirts get shorter. The habits which is worn, the, the, 
get shorter, shorter, till it's just a little thing on their head now, like, a, uh, like what the, the nurses wear. Short dresses, they're looking like everybody else. You see, the truth is true. A thousand years ago, it's true today. What is truth doesn't change. What is right doesn't change. It stays. It is wrong, it was wrong in the time of Moses to kill. To kill a person unjustly, it was wrong. Murder, it was wrong. To fornicate, to commit adultery, these were wrong. These will never be right. There will not come a time when it is right for us to murder, to steal, to fornicate, to commit adultery. It is wrong for all times. This is the truth. The truth doesn't change according to circumstances. So what God thought was true 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, must be true today. And this is what Islam teaches concerning God. God's teachings are true for all times. And this is what we should follow. So just to sum up, because I'd like to also give you an opportunity if you'd like to ask some questions you know, concerning this concept. I'd just like to sum up again for you now at the end. That Islam alone teaches that God is one and unique in the pure sense. This was the teachings of all of the prophets. This is the basic concept of God in Islam as was taught by all of the prophets. God is the creator and he is not his creation. He is the only one who should be worshipped. What he taught as truth is truth forever. And if we are to be true followers of those who God sent, and Jesus said, I was sent by the Father. Sent. He was sent. If we are to follow those who were sent by God to teach us, to enlighten us, then we must obey what they taught and follow it closely. We can't play with it. Follow what we feel like and leave what we don't feel like. No. They were the way to God. And if we want to find that way to God, then we must follow their way. And Islam teaches that way which was taught by Jesus, taught by Moses, but which has not been changed in any way. It has remained pure. The teachings have remained pure. So if you were to go back 1,400 years, to the time when Muhammad, may God peace and blessings be upon him and on all the prophets, was in Mecca and in Medina. You go back 1,400 years 
and you looked at, to see what he was doing, how he was praying, how did he fast? Because what people are doing today and calling it fasting, this is not what Jesus did. This is not what his companions did. You go back and you search to see how did they fast? It's more like what Muslims do. You will find how they prayed, how they fasted, how they gave in charity. Everything that the Prophet did in that time, this is what Muslims in general are doing today. I'm not saying that there are not some Muslims who have not deviated from the past. Because I know, after visiting Philippines and observing some of the Muslims there in Philippines, I realized that they, some of them, many of them, had deviated from the true teachings. And also here, and also in Egypt, or around the world, you'll find people who have deviated from the true teachings. But still, you can find what are the true teachings. You can find it for yourself. And there are people who are practicing it purely. However, the teachings which were brought by the earlier prophets, they have become changed. They have become distorted, so that you can't hardly find them anymore. You may find pieces here and there, etc. But the full picture, as it was in the time of Jesus, as it was in the time of Moses, it has been lost now. But you can find it in the final message, which sums up all of the previous messages. And this is what we call the religion of Islam which means submission to the will of God. It is not the name of a person. We don't have anybody in Islam, his name is Islam. So we are, you know, we follow Islam, Islamity. We are Islam. No. Islam is the name of the principle of the religion of God. Jesus said in the prayer to say what? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not as I will, but as the Father will. This is Jesus. None who call me Lord, Lord will enter paradise, but only he who does the will of the Father. This is Jesus teaching that people were to submit. ومن استند بالسنة إلى يوم الدين. All praise is due to Allah, the One God, God Almighty, and may His peace and blessings be on His last Prophet Muhammad and on all of the prophets who came before him, and also on anyone who follows the path of righteousness until the last day of this world. The topic of this presentation, as you are already familiar, is God, the ultimate miracle. And the reason why I have chosen this topic as an introductory topic to understanding something about Islam, and of course you should be clear that the object of this lecture or this presentation, it's not to try to push anyone or force anyone to become a Muslim. 
It is merely to convey what is the teachings of Islam to other people. You know? For us to be able to understand different peoples and their beliefs, we have to be able to listen and to hear what they have to say. We're not necessarily listening with the idea that we are going to change our belief or whatever, but we're listening because we want to know. We want to increase our understanding so that we can make for ourselves the best choice for ourselves. Because each and every one of us has been born in a family not by our own choice. I didn't choose to be born in America in a family that was a Christian family, nor does a brother here choose to be born in Philippines, in Mindanao, into a family which is a Muslim family, or a brother from India choose to be born in a Hindu family. These are not our choices. This is according to the destiny of God. God destines that we are born where we are born. We don't choose it. Therefore, we have to find out what is it that God actually wants for us? We have to search. God is destined that we are born in different circumstances. But each and every one of us has to search to find the truth. That is part of the life that we are in, the tests of this life. That we must search and find the truth. And when we find that truth, we have to live by that truth. We will be responsible before God as to what we did with the truth. God has put it in our hearts that there is right and there is wrong. He's put it there for us to help, to help us to find the truth. And the ultimate truth in this life, when you try to look around, there are many truths. There are many things which are true, which have to do with our daily life, have to do with our family life, have to do with our job. There are many things that are true. We know what is true and what is right, what is honest and what is fair. There are many things which are true. But the ultimate truth, the most important truth, is God. And what we find when we look around the world is that though everybody, or most everybody, believes in God, we find that different people have different ideas about who God is. And God cannot be all of the different ideas that people have. Because some people have the idea that God is a tree, or he is an idol, 
or he is an animal, or he is a man, or he is a spirit, or he is a planet. You've got people with all kinds of... Can God be all these things? No. Not really. There is an ultimate truth concerning who God is. Who is God? And this is what we all have to seek. And we have to seek it without emotions. We have to take our emotions and we put them to one side. Emotions, you know, how you feel emotionally about something. I love, I feel strongly about. We have to put these aside when we start to search. Why? Because if we don't do that, then these emotions will blind us. They will cloud our vision. We won't be able to see clearly. You know, as they say, love blinds. You know, when you fall in love with somebody, they could be the worst of people, but because you're in love with this person, you can't see what is bad about them. Your friends are trying to say, listen, this person is evil. There's this, there's that. It's the whole other You don't understand. You don't know this Because of your love for that person. That's the emotion. So you're not able to look at things objectively. You can't stand back and judge it and see what is right and what is wrong. So this is what you have to do. For us to know who is God, we have to search. Look into what the various religions, the various systems say, who is God. And then we have to use the intellect, the mind and the brain which God gave us to judge which one seems right and which ones are wrong. And it is true that each and every system, each and every religion, it says, our understanding of God is the one true understanding. And this is why we say they can't all be correct. Because if each one says, this ours is right, yours is wrong, then they can't all be right. If they all said everybody's idea is okay, well then fine, it could all be right. But when each and every one says, Ours is right and yours is wrong, then it means we must go and search. Find out which one is actually right. Islam is no different in the sense that it says and it holds, it believes that the true concept of God is in the teachings of Islam. And this is what I'm going to present to you now. What is the concept of God? As I said, for you to reflect, think about, look at, put your emotions aside and see, does this make sense? If it makes more sense and it seems to be the truth, then that becomes your responsibility. My responsibility was only to convey to you what I understood of the truth, what I believed to be the truth and what I understood of it then it becomes your responsibility. Now, if you find, from what I have explained, that this does seem to be correct, then it becomes your responsibility 
to live according to that truth. Now, Islam believes in one God. That that one God is the only one, the only being, the only existing being who deserves to be worshipped. This is the core of the Islamic concept, that God is one and He alone deserves to be worshipped. All worship goes to Him alone. If we take the first part, God is one, I know most of you being from the Philippines, you will tell me, we believe that God is one. Because I was born in a Christian family, and I grew up under the teachings that God is one. However, at the same time, I was taught that God was three. Three in one. Okay, so we have one, but we have three mentioned. Okay, when we go to Hinduism, and you speak to a Hindu who is intelligent, with intellect, with educated, and you ask him about his belief in God, he will tell you, I believe in one God. You see? How? How can you wish? No, Hindus, they have so many idols. Every house has its own idol and they're worshipping the idol. How you can tell me? He said, no. I believe in one God, but God becomes present, He becomes manifest within His creation, in the idols, the animals, but I believe in one God. And when you go around the world, to all of the various different religions, you will find that though people may be worshipping stones and trees and all kinds of things, in the very end, you will find that they believe in one supreme being, one God who is over all of the other gods. So they all share this in common. What Islam teaches is that when Adam, the first man, came to earth, when he was placed on earth by God, created of the earth, his wife, Eve, was created from. They were given the message that God was one. And they taught this to their children. And their children taught it to the next generation. And the teaching that God was one was the basic of the teachings of the descendants of Adam from his time as time went on. However, at different points in time, people introduced different ideas concerning the one God. They 
put intermediaries between themselves and God, or they began to conceive and to understand God in terms of the creation around them. And in this way, the basic idea of the one God now got modified and changed. What God did is that he sent prophets to the people around the earth at various times, calling them back to the worship of the one God. Because what happened is that when people put intermediaries between themselves and God, then they began to worship the intermediaries instead of God. And when they began to understand God in terms of his creation, then they began to worship God's creation instead of God. So it was necessary that God send prophets to call people back to the worship of the one true God and not to worship his creation or to worship intermediaries between him and his creation. This was the message of the prophets who came to the people, mankind, down through the ages. Those that are mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well as those which are not. There were many other prophets who were sent to countries and to places that we don't know about today. However, their teachings have remained amongst the people, though it has been changed to some degree. But this is why you find in every religion that there are basic teachings which call people to good. You know, people could say, all the religions, basically, they're all the same in the sense that they all call people to do good things. Don't do these bad things and do these good things. This is common in all of religions. And this is part of the message which was brought by the prophets that came to the people in earlier times. However, the knowledge of who those prophets are has been lost now. And the concept that the people have of God it's been distorted, but still the idea that there is one supreme God, one supreme being over all, this has remained in the teachings of all the various religions. However, it is only in Islam that the teaching concerning the one God remains totally pure. It has not been distorted or changed in any way. It has remained totally pure. In the sense that one God means exactly what it says. One God. A God is an object of worship. In Islam, there is only one object of but when you go to all of the other different religions, you will find that they all have in common. That though they say there is one supreme being, one true God, ultimately, they all have other gods that they worship. 
they may consider these other gods to be the one true God also, or to be a manifestation of that God or whatever, but the idea of the one true God now has become modified and changed. When we say in Islam that we believe in one God, we mean one God who is unique in all of his attributes. In the sense that if I say I have one pen, you can have a pen in your pocket too. So I have one pen, but you have one pen. You have one pen. This is not the kind of one that Islam talks about. When Islam talks about one God, it means one of a kind. There are no other gods. There's just one. Unique in all senses. That this God is the creator. Everything besides this God is creation, has been created by the Creator. This God is all-powerful, nothing greater than He. This God is all-knowing, He knows all, and no one knows all but He. This is the one true God that Islam teaches. Now, when we look to understand this in comparison to what other systems hold, we have to understand that when we say one again, we mean one who does not resemble his creation. He doesn't, he's not like his creation. Because once you make God like creation, then you no longer have the one true God. So if you say God gives birth, animals give birth. So when you say God gives birth, or God is born, then you're making God like his creation. Whereas in Islam, the pure teaching, because when we say Islam, we don't mean something which was brought by Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, 1400 years ago and did not exist before. No. We mean what was brought by Adam what God taught Adam to teach to his descendants and what he taught all of the prophets. This is Islam. In those teachings, the teachings of Adam, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be on all of them, they taught that God was without beginning, without end the all-powerful God who was not like his creation. So God, from the Islamic point of view, has no beginning in time. It means he cannot be born. 
Because if you are born, it means there was a time when you were not. That's what born means. And God had no time when he was not. He always was. And always will be. So God is not born, nor does he die. Because if he dies, it means there is a time when he is not. And the creator of the universe, the one who all of the universe depends on, if he, if he dies, then the universe falls apart totally. Because it depends on him. So he is always, for everything to exist, it only exists because God wills that it exists. This is the idea which Islam teaches. I know, probably 95 or 99% of what I've said, you, you will think, we believe, we agree. So where is the difference? The difference is that in Christianity, it teaches that God became man. In the beginning was the Word. This is John. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Right? So the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. And it dwelt among men. So God became a man. Now you say to me, isn't God able to do all things? Is he not able to do all things? So if he wants to become a man, he can become a man? Well, I say to you, when we hold our belief that God can do all things, we are talking about all things which justly keep Him as God. Things which agree with Him being God. We're not talking about things which make Him less than God. Because if you're going to say God can do all things, then you can say also, yes, it is conceivable that God could become a mosquito and you could kill that mosquito. No. You don't accept it. Or God could die. No, we said no. Or God could be born. We said no. Because these things, for these things to happen, it means that God become less than God. So when we say God can do all things, it means all things with Him still being God. All things that a God does. Which does not include becoming men. Becoming His creation. No. God is the creator. 
and he, as the creator, creates. Creation is a product of his creation. The creation which exists, this is a product of his action as the creator. So it is inconceivable that God, who is the creator, would become his creation. He turned himself into his creation. No, this is inconceivable. God is the creator. If he is the creator, then he is not the creation. If you say he is the creation, then he is no longer the creator. If you want to say he is the creator and he is the creation, then you've got confusion. This is what you end up with, is confusion. Because then, who is God and who is not God? We don't know. Because if God is created, then you're God and I'm God and he's God and the house is everybody's God. This is confusion. This is not what the prophets taught. The prophets taught us to worship God didn't teach us to worship ourselves, didn't teach us to worship human beings, other human beings. And if you go back and look into the Bible itself, you will find Jesus telling his companions, his disciples, to worship God. He taught them to pray how? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's what he thought. He didn't say to pray, Jesus who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But Christians today worship Jesus. Christians believe that Jesus is God. But still, they are worshiping Jesus who was a man. So in the end, they are worshipping a man. Just like you may find Hindus who worship a cow. And you tell him, no, no, why are you worshipping a cow? A cow is animal. And in India, you know, if you kill a cow, they'll kill you. Don't let them catch you killing a cow there. People are starving, but the cows walk down the streets, they'll lie in the streets, everybody has to go around, you don't touch the cow. Cow is holy. You try to explain to him, listen, this is an animal. We eat the cow in our country. In the Philippines, we eat cows. This person will try to explain to you that though you may be seeing a cow, God is here. It's manifest in this cow. You say this is silly. But what is the difference between saying that God is a cow and saying God is a man? Really not much difference. You know, of course men are better than cows. So we say, okay, to say God is a man is a little better than saying he's a cow. But in the end, it's still amongst the animal kingdom. The human being is from the animal. You know, we have the same kind of functions as animals, except that God has given us a spirit. This is what distinguishes us. We have a choice. We can choose between right and wrong. Animals just act according to their nature. This is a difference. But still, we are amongst the, in the animal world. 
So to say God is a man, or to say he is a cow, only very slight difference. Really. In Islam, God is God. There is no picture of God. Again, in Christianity, you will find God portrayed in pictures. If you go to the Vatican, go to the Sistine Chapel, they have a painting by Leonardo da Vinci, when God created Adam, very famous painting, I don't know if you know this one, where you see God reaching his hands down and you see Adam reaching up his hand and between him the fingers are coming up. This is the spark of life being given by God to man. But God is portrayed as an old man with a beard and God is being conceived of as a man. But in Islam, God is God. There is no picture of God. Because once you try to conceive of God in terms of an image, to make a picture in your mind, then you are making God like his creation. Because whatever is in your mind is from what you saw or what you heard and it is from the creation. So you will be making God like his creation. So this is why it is totally prohibited to make any picture of God. This is according to the original teachings. And if you go back into the history of Christianity, you will also find that there was a time when Christians, different groups of Christians, struggled amongst themselves to decide, can we make pictures of God, and pictures of Jesus, and pictures of Mary, etc., or are we not alone? Called icons. Eventually, those who felt that you can make the pictures won the battle. And so, now you find pictures of God. But in the original teaching, it was prohibited to make any picture of God. We don't even think of God in terms of being a spirit. Because when you think of a spirit, a picture comes to your mind of something smoky looking. You know, some smoky kind of being, where you can't touch but it's... Once you start to make, this is from creation again.